COVID takes a toll on BC finances. We've experienced one of the most difficult years in the province's history. Our falling fortunes and why there's reason to be optimistic in the new year. Tributes pour in for the hero mother who saved her children. It just broke my heart. What we're learning about the family she leaves behind. And Wi-Fi that's out of this world. That's one small step for man. BC Research to set up a network on the moon and beyond. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. More than 2,200 frontline healthcare workers in BC have now received the Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 vaccine. And while the province will be receiving weekly deliveries, the public is being asked to keep our walls strong. Here's a look at today's numbers. We have 673 new cases now, bringing BC's total to 44,776. Tragically, we have lost 21 more people, which means we've now lost 713 people to the virus. 358 are in hospital, 93 in the ICU. Almost 33,000 people are considered recovered. We're left with just over 10,000 active cases and 10,388 people in self-isolation. Keith Baldry is live in Victoria with more from today's briefing. Keith, more concerns raised today about those most vulnerable to the virus, our seniors, of course. Mm -hmm. and Dr. Henry addressed some actions that are being taken at long-term care homes. Yeah, that really remains the focus of concern right now because in the last 10 days, almost 200 people have died. Uh, the vast majority of them, unfortunately, have died in long-term care homes. A number of measures have been taken to keep these homes safe, but the safest way to protect them, of course, is to get that vaccine in there. And today, Dr. Henry talked about an intense blitz about to uh, come at long-term care homes as we try to stem the tide of people dying at such an alarming rate. Here's Dr. Henry. So I am obviously very concerned. Um, we've been talking. Uh, we're doing a, an intense um, blitz on all long-term care homes to try and be sure that we are um, stepping up all of the measures to try and prevent transmission. What we are learning is that this virus spreads so easily this time of year. All right. Uh the key to that, of course, is testing, Keith. And Dr. Mm -hmm. Henry reiterated today when it is essential that you go and get a test. Yes, and the number of tests is increasing. Yesterday, almost 15,000 tests. I haven't seen the number today, a little lower a couple days ago. But yeah, there's more testing available right now. And again, a reminder today from Dr. Bonnie Henry, something she used to talk about quite a bit back early in the pandemic, about the symptoms that tell you whether you have COVID-19 or not. And she reminds people again today what those symptoms are. And if you have a number of them, go get tested. Again, here's Dr. Henry. There are four symptoms, though, that have shown when we look at the data of people who've been tested that are very much associated with COVID. And these include having fever, chills, a cough, loss of sense of smell or taste, and difficulty breathing. If you have any of these symptoms, if you're feeling short of breath, if you've lost your, your sense of smell, then you need to get a COVID test right away. That's a priority. So a good reminder from Dr. Bonnie Henry. At the beginning, again, the, the loss of sense of smell and taste were considered particularly concerning because they are uh, more associated with COVID-19 than any other virus. So if you do experience those symptoms, go get tested. It's imperative right now to keep the numbers down. There's still community transmission out there uh, to varying degrees depending on where you live in BC. But again, the Northern Health numbers continue to go upwards a bit. So no one is immune from getting COVID-19. So again, get tested if you need to. Absolutely. All right. Thanks for that, Keith.
Well, the NDP government's economic forecast has some critical sectors of the B.C. economy fearing for their survival. The government announcing today its projected budget deficit is now $13.6 billion. That's up $851 million since the last estimate in September. Economic recovery should start next year, but the bounce back won't be complete until as late as 2023. And as John Waugh reports, the tourism and hospitality industries say if it takes that long, many businesses simply won't survive. You know it's time to sound the alarm. When the famous Gastown steam clock whistles and there's not a single tourist in sight. Right now we don't have any tourism, nothing. It's completely done. Artina's jewelry shines by showcasing the designs of Canadian artists, mostly to shoppers visiting Vancouver. But travel restrictions due to COVID-19 have erased 80% of their business. The store next to us is closed and if it's the next one be closed and then nobody coming to the gas town anymore. Many storefronts are still feeling the setback of losing the summer tourism season. Not sure whether they can survive it a second year in a row. Sectors such as tourism, hospitality, recreation and retail are not anticipated to be operating at full capacity for some time. The fiscal outlook leaving one of the province's hardest hit sectors, wondering how much longer it can hold on. We'll likely see more closures in the early part of 2021 unless there is more help forthcoming. With a full economic recovery not expected until late 2022 or early 2023, businesses tied to tourism say relief is needed now. For 10 months we've been saying what we need and now is the time for government to step up and allow those funds to flow. Some are looking at ways to loosen travel restrictions, like rapid testing that has allowed Canadians to travel to Hawaii without having to quarantine. Everybody's looking at what's happening in other places in the world and suggesting, why can't we adopt a similar process? While nobody expected the economy to rebound overnight. There's no way we can survive for two years. Gastown retailers say unless something gives, they're running out of time. John Hua, Global News. Included in the government's economic forecast is the fact that BC's public auto insurance company is making even more money than it had been expecting. But don't hold your breath for that rebate check. ICBC is forecasting a net income of $410 million, up from the original forecast of $86 million. The increased profits are mainly due to savings from lower claims costs because of fewer accidents and the recovery of investment losses it sustained in 2019 and 20. The government has promised rebates next spring if ICBC makes a profit at the end of the fiscal year, which is next March. But with most other jurisdictions across North America already paying out rebates, the opposition Liberals say it is outrageous that the NDP is making drivers wait until next year. We are learning more tonight about a Surrey mother who lost her life saving the lives of her two young children. She pushed them clear of a runaway cargo van barreling towards them. Sadly, she was killed. Ramina Dea is live in Surrey tonight with more on a gathering to pay tribute to her and how the victim is being remembered, Ramina. Chris, this community is absolutely crushed. This could have been anyone's family. I think that's why it resonates so deeply with everyone. There was a, a small vigil just a short time ago. Uh, parents, young children, 
people coming out here to pay their respects. They laid some flowers, some messages of support. This spot over here is the location where the mother took her last breath, the children watching the entire horrific scene go down in front of their eyes. The community telling us tonight that they just want the little girls to know and their family to know that they are not alone. It just, I think about myself, I think about my kids, and I mean, to lose a mother, it just, it just breaks my heart. Like, I think about the girls, like, like what's going to happen with them? It's close to Christmas holidays as well, and it's like a, a nice holiday to spend time with family, and they're not going to be able to spend time with their mom. Now, the freak accident happened Tuesday afternoon. It was around 2.45. School had just gotten out. The mom was walking on the sidewalk with the two little girls when she was struck by this out-of-control van. No driver behind the wheel. The little girls were not injured. They stood by crying helpless as witnesses tried to revive their mother, but she did not make it. Police are telling us that the driver is cooperating with the investigation. Witnesses told us that he was absolutely devastated that he was delivering packages in the area. One person told us that he actually tried to dr- jump in the window of the van to stop it from rolling down the hill out of control. At this point, it's really too early to say whether or not any charges might be laid. It doesn't appear that alcohol or drugs are factors in this investigation. Police said that the vehicle still has to go through a mechanical inspection. So um, we're still waiting to hear the latest in this case. Back to you. So sad for that family. Ramina, thank you. The Office of the Police Complaint Commissioner is restarting its investigation into the actions of seven VPD officers in the death of Miles Gray. It's been five years since the OPCC paused its probe, but as Aaron MacArthur reports, now that the BC Prosecution Service has announced the officers won't face criminal charges, the investigation will resume. It's been five years since Miles Gray died during his arrest by the Vancouver Police Department. The decision not to charge the officers involved isn't the end of the process, though. Now, the Office of the Police Complaints Commissioner will resume its own examination. A disciplinary conduct investigation will continue. It will look at the conduct of uh, all the officers involved, um, but it will also look into any training or any uh, policy considerations um, that uh, may have contributed to uh, the incident. The OPCC investigation can compel statements from the officers involved, recounting their actions during the arrest in 2015. One of the reasons the BC Prosecution Office declined to proceed with charges was a lack of consistency from the VPD officer statements. The Independent Investigations Office couldn't determine a cause of death, but could say Gray died while being restrained. Handcuffed and hobbled, he suffered gruesome injuries. And the only witnesses to the death were the officers themselves. I think the truth, well, really what happened is gone with Miles. You're never going to get the truth from them. In addition to the OPCC investigation, the door is still open for the BC Coroner Service to weigh in. The chief coroner says in a statement, the Coroner's Act requires deaths that occur while an individual is detained by or in the custody of police be reviewed at inquest unless a legislative exception applies. 
the investigation process takes time and uh, and should there be any um, disciplinary processes, those in addition take time. And so being mindful of how long um, uh, these processes can take. The OPCC indicates it would like an independent police agency to continue the investigation as soon as possible. But at this point, the material collected by the IIO has yet to be disclosed. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. He's the highest profile Canadian caught in the U.S. college admissions scandal. B.C. businessman and philanthropist David Sadu was just released after serving three months in a U.S. prison. The challenge to rebuild his reputation, if that's even possible, in just over a minute. The search for a stolen hoist, why the avid boater who lost it is desperate to get it back. That's later on the news hour. And two women step out of the shadows with chilling stories of their encounters with disgraced fashion mogul Peter Nygaard. That's coming up as well. Right now, Vancouver businessman David Sadu has been released from a U.S. prison after spending three months in custody following a guilty plea for his role in the college admission scandal. Now that Sadu is a free man, some wonder if it's even possible for the once-respected philanthropist to rehabilitate his image. Catherine Urquhart reports. For the past three months, the federal detention center at SeaTac has been home to Vancouver businessman David Sadu. Early Thursday morning, the 61-year-old was released, having served time for his role in the massive college admission scandal. The former UBC and CFL football player pleaded guilty to conspiracy to commit mail and wire fraud after admitting he paid $200,000 to have a professional test writer impersonate his two sons and write several exams for them, including SATs. The guilty plea followed months of denying any wrongdoing. Mr. Weinberg, Mr. Schoenfeld and I are pleased to be helping Mr. Sadu. He just entered a plea of not guilty. Those initial denials of wrongdoing could make his future more challenging, according to one crisis manager. David Sidhu dug himself in a hole when he denied any wrongdoing and pleaded not guilty. And it took several months for him to finally plead guilty and accept his punishment. His team of lawyers have released a statement saying David Sidhu completed his sentence in the United States today and has returned to Vancouver, intending to return to his life as a private citizen, as a hardworking and successful businessman, and to his lifelong passion for philanthropy. Catalyst for improving the lives of In recent months, Sidhu was stripped of his Order of BC. His name was removed from a football field at UBC. And now he has a criminal record. The way for David Sidhu to recover his reputation is to tell his story, why he did what he did, and apologize to the community for having done what he did. It's unclear if Sidhu will ever talk about his conviction. For now, he's in quarantine. And his lawyers say he won't be making any further statements at this time. Catherine Urquhart. Global News. Burnaby RCMP are appealing for witnesses into a fire that led to evacuations at Burnaby Hospital last month. RCMP say they have determined the fire set on the evening of November 15th was arson. The fire forced the closure of the ER for hours as well as delayed medical appointments and surgeries. The health authority says it also contributed to a COVID-19 outbreak as patients had to be moved to different areas during the blaze for their safety. 
RCMP released this photo of a person they say is a person of interest, not a suspect at this point, and they're appealing to anyone with information to contact them. It's quite an extensive scene. Uh, there's over 100 surveillance cameras uh, speaking to the investigators. It's, uh, one of them told me it's the biggest arson scene they've ever been to. So there's a lot to go over. At this time, it's, it is, yeah, I know it's been a month, but it is still early in our investigation. So I'm not going to get into too many details of the actual arson. I want, to, I want everyone to focus. Um, as many people that can look at this picture, lay as many eyes as we can on this picture, um, and someone will recognize this person. Still ahead, food delivery companies feasting on the little guys. I do not understand why we would have waited to do this. Will the province come to the rescue of restaurants who say they're getting killed by high fees? And a Christmas tree stolen in a UBC campus caper. Next. Traffic is starting to ease off here on Highway 1 to and from Surrey and the Portman Bridge. After clearing an earlier stall, it was westbound at mid-span in the through lane. This week, save on hundreds of perfect gift ideas for everyone on your list at your local home hardware. Come home for Christmas and save big this holiday season. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Portman Bridge. The government is taking aim at those high delivery fees charged to restaurants by delivery services like DoorDash and Skip the Dishes. Starting next week, those fees will be capped at 15%. But as Richard Zussman reports, restaurants already struggling to survive the pandemic warn the new rule may have come too late. From kitchen to container to front door, Every meal that leaves here is delivered to a customer by Dimitri Adenopoulos, the owner of Victoria's Ithaca restaurant, wanting to ensure every bite is its best. The service that we're known for, we want that to continue from leaving our business to your door. We do this every day. Yeah. He also wants to keep afloat. Food delivery companies like Skip the Dishes and Uber Eats want him to sign on, but those companies charge restaurants like his a substantial service fee. They don't realize uh, the 20, 25%, 30% um, costs that, uh, you know, this money that they're taking away from local businesses. All family restaurants have suffered due to the pandemic, Ithaca included, and that's one of the reasons why the NDP promised during the election campaign to cap those service fees at 15%, a promise they are now expected to fulfill next week. The cost uh, to those who are creating the food is too great. Uh, the impact on their businesses was not. It's an un unintended consequence. But there has been frustration stewing. Rookie BC Liberal MLA Trevor Halford introduced legislation last week to bring in a cap of 15% on deliveries after his party also promised the change during the election. This is the prime chance for some of these restaurants to really try and survive right now and I do not understand why we would have waited to do this. And every day a company can charge what they want is a day where local restaurants lose out. Our restaurants are making really no margin on these third-party delivery uh, sales and and that's really unfortunate, but they feel that they have to be part of that market. As for Adopolis, he'll keep doing the delivering, part of what he can do to keep himself and his team working. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. 
University RCMP are asking for the public's help to solve a bizarre holiday mystery on campus. Surveillance video dated December 2nd shows five men removing a Christmas tree from the lobby of a building on Gray Avenue. The group is seen stuffing their holiday bounty into the back of an Evo car and then driving off. Anyone with information as to the current location of the tree or the identity of the Grinches is asked to contact the University RCMP non-emergency line. A well-known former B.C. fitness trainer is struggling to deal with a particularly heartless crime. Someone has stolen the expensive handmade device that would have allowed him to continue doing what he loved after a devastating accident. Linda Aylesworth reports. Mike Hamill loves fishing so much that when he purchased his home in Delta, he made sure there was a marina right outside his door. The feeling of boating and the freedom that you have on you know, when you're out there, uh, it's, it's an irreplaceable feeling. But that freedom was taken from him three years ago, when during a fishing trip in Haida Gwaii, the boat he was riding in collided with a breaching humpback whale. The last thing I remember was seeing the whale's eyeball and his fins, because I got thrown up in the air quite a distance and then landed back into the boat. As many as 50 bones were broken, three of them in his spine. My whole body was paralyzed and is paralyzed from here down. It's been one day at a time ever since for Mike, who dedicated 50 years of his life to fitness, his own and that of the people he trained, people like Clint Eastwood and Rick Hansen. My whole thing is to get out there and do as much as I can. And uh, my dream is to be able to get back on my boat, go fishing. But how? mobility equipment specialist and friend Wayne Davis had a plan. The unique piece of equipment that could uh, drive out of his uh, underground down onto the ramp onto the concrete dock and uh, help him uh, get onto his boat. Using his own time and money, Wayne created this one-of-a-kind hoist. But before Mike got the chance to use it to take out his boat... We got a uh, break in here. It happened uh, early Tuesday morning. The suspect vehicle, a green Ford F-150 XTR pickup. The thieves presumably thought they were stealing an engine hoist. But I can tell you now, it only has a lifting capacity of 350 pounds max. And if they try to lift an engine, they would probably drop it on their toes. This was really going to be my special year. But the dream has now disappeared. The dream of me get on my boat. Anyone with information is asked to contact the Delta Police. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Up ahead, the crossing guard with Christmas spirit. I feel so happy when I make other people smile or they wave back at me. How her costumes do more than stop traffic. And Peter Nygaard's accusers step forward. Why they're going public with their terrifying stories now. Traffic is steady over here at the Alex Fraser Bridge in both directions tonight. Directly underneath it on Highway 17, there is some lane closures and a 50-kilometer speed limit for construction between the 91 Connector and Alex Fraser Bridge. For 47 years, Kermat Collision and Autoglass has provided unmatched superior customer service and satisfaction. With 18 lower mainland locations, there's a Kermac in your neighborhood. Visit Kermac.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. 
Two women who say they were abused by multimillionaire Peter Nygaard are now sharing their stories and their names publicly. The fashion mogul was arrested Monday night, accused of sex crimes. Global's Brittany Greenslade reports. I was Jane Doe 15. Her real name is April Tellick. She met Peter Nygaard when she was 20 years old and says he flew her to Winnipeg under the guise of a modeling contract. I thought I was going there for a modeling job. And um, turns out there was no modeling job at all. She says instead, she was held captive by the 79-year-old for days. That was 27 years ago in 1993. Telic is one of 57 women who joined a class action lawsuit, which accuses Nygaard of rape, sexual assault and human trafficking. That lawsuit has now been stayed. I was sexually assaulted. I was, I was raped by him more than once, um, and uh, I had never used this word for myself, but I was sex trafficked. Telic says while she physically was eventually able to escape, mentally, she says the experience haunted her for years. You live with it for so long. I made a conscious choice to not live like a victim. I would not live like a victim. I was a survivor and I would live like that. Telic is not alone. Jennifer Gilmer is Jane Doe 16. I know that now I have nothing to be ashamed of. With Nygaard behind bars, she no longer fears using her name in sharing her story. At 19, while living in the Bahamas and playing tennis, she says she was offered a free place to stay at Nygaard's. That's where she says he raped her. Things changed and that's when, um, that's when the rape and the sodomy started. And um, I was scared and alone and I didn't wasn't allowed to leave he took my passport Gilmer says she was also provided to his friends for them to do the same I was broken the two women say while neither is involved in the criminal case Peter Nygaard's arrest allows them to speak publicly and no longer be unnamed faces in a lawsuit it also brings relief there's no shame in what happened to us only until recently People like him, men like him, monsters like him are being held accountable for what they've done, regardless of how much money they have. Nygaard is currently facing a nine-count indictment in the United States. He has denied all allegations against him. Brittany Greenslade, Global News. BC's Privacy Commissioner has ruled the provincial government does not have to give First Nations more specific information about COVID-19 infections. Three First Nations argued the government should be required to tell them whether an infected person had traveled to their territory instead of releasing general case numbers for regions. Privacy Commissioner Michael McAvoy has ruled the current information is enough to allow First Nations communities to take steps to avoid or mitigate the risks connected to the pandemic. Dr. Bonnie Henry says releasing more information has to be balanced with privacy. I also have a responsibility to keep certain information confidential on pre people's um, personal health information, and it's a balancing of those two things. And we do have an ongoing agreement very early on in this. I compelled the linking of data with the First Nations client file, and that information is provided on a daily basis to the First Nations Health Authority so that they do, and we all do, know the information about uh, First Nations peoples and how 
how they are being affected by this pandemic. And that is very important. BC's Office of the Human Rights Commissioner is launching a public campaign to clarify mask exemptions. Masks are mandatory in indoor public spaces across the province, but many people are still being refused service despite having medical notes. Claudia Van Emmerich spoke to one Okanagan senior whose condition makes it impossible to cover up. David Medill is reading a note from his doctor, exempting the West Kelowna man from wearing a mask. The 76-year-old suffers from chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, or COPD. I can't uh, get enough air in. So anything that obstructs the airway causes me severe distress. So much so that when he did put on a mask at one point a grocery shop, he says he passed out. I had to sit down. I was lightheaded. I had to sit down and I finally passed out. But despite his medical note, which he carries with him at all times, Medell says he gets hassled and is often refused service, as was the case earlier this week when he tried to get blood work done ahead of a CT scan. They refused to do the blood work because I couldn't wear a mask. I get turned away. David Medill's medical note clearly states that forcing him to wear a mask would cause him to suffer severe respiratory decompensation and would potentially cause him harm. It, it, it's unbearable. I mean, I can't breathe. Medill's story is not uncommon, and for that reason, the Office of the Human Rights Commissioner on Thursday launched a new poster awareness campaign clarifying mask exemptions. They include anyone under the age of 12, anyone unable to wear a mask because of a health condition or mental impairment, or anyone who is unable to put on or remove a mask without help from another person. Business is being told that if a person claims to have an exemption, they are to take their word for it. We're trying our best. As for businesses, they are being reminded they cannot be fined for allowing people inside without masks. Claudia Van Emmer, Global News, West Kelowna. Still ahead, SFU researchers over the moon with their new project, helping establish cell service in space and figuring out if Wi-Fi will work on Mars. And in sports, a Canadian soccer player who's truly among the stars. Another honor for former Whitecap Alfonso Davies. Well, when it comes to heroes in our communities, a lot of people would agree crossing guards are near the top of the list. But for one crossing guard in Victoria, she takes the job to a whole new level. Not only for her ability to keep the kids safe, but to keep them smiling as well. Kylie Stanton has her story. You don't need a red light, a beep, or even a walk sign to stop traffic here. It's actually, like, pretty funny. Yeah. Instead, the crosswalk in front of Sangster Elementary School has a bright tutu, festive hat, a Christmas light necklace, and, of course, a stop sign. Have a good day. Worn proudly by Sandra Bowes. It's so much fun. You get to see all the kids at the beginning of the day and say goodbye to them at the end of the day, and they're happy to see you. Bose has been an educational assistant here for the past 25 years, but only recently picked up the stop sign. I've just been crossing for the last three. And in that time, she's made an impression, not only with the students here. You guys look very festive for Christmas. But with parents as well. Oh, she's absolutely fantastic. Uh, she knows all the kids by their first name. And uh, she's definitely the heart of the community and heart of the school for sure. You'd think it'd end there, but during the quiet mornings before the rush, Bose goes the extra mile. That's when I started waving at all the people in the car just to keep myself going and I thought, oh, 
give everyone a smile and a wave and hope that it would uh, help them have a good start to their day too. It turns out that little wave I just got a card yesterday is having a big impact. To the happy crosswalk lady, thank you for being the light in the world that can get quite dark. And this year has been especially dark. It's been tough for many of our families, so to have some warm, wonderful people that are keeping some things very consistent, and that's Sandra. Hi guys, have a good day. It just goes to show it doesn't take much. A little wave can create a ripple effect bigger than we may ever know. Yeah, makes my day. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. <laughs> makes a lot of days, I would sure think. Sure does. Way to go, Sandra. Thanks for your work there at the crosswalk. All right, uh, Yvonne Shell is in for Christy tonight, and uh, you got your work cut out for you. There's a lot of weather, a lot of rain on the way. Yeah, and very windy conditions. We've got a wind warning. I'll show you the timeline and how gusty it's going to get across the south coast in just a moment. But here's a little wave that is starting to work its way in along the western edge of the island. We had a nice break in between systems. We even had some sunshine in the mix this afternoon. We're currently sitting at 7 degrees. We've got a light northwesterly wind out of the airport right now, reporting dry conditions, and the wind's at 11 kilometers per hour. But here's the change that we're tracking. This next weather maker that is going to push in across the south coast overnight and for the morning hours. That's we'll start to see some of the heavier rain developing and continuing through the day. And then this same system is going to bring snow for higher elevations. Many spots if you're traveling along the mountain passes, seeing snowfall this evening and then continuing all the way in towards tomorrow night. So it is going to be very blustery. The big weather story will be the wind warning. Metro Vancouver most areas included within that and stretching along the Sunshine Coast. Uh, 40 and up to 70 kilometers per hour and the western edge of the island could see gusts of up to 100 kilometers per hour. The winds will strengthen especially towards the afternoon. That'll likely be the peak of the gusts and then easing off as we get in towards the evening hours. But a heads up, areas near the water that range between 40 and potentially up to 70 kilometers per hour. Rainfall amounts will be 20 and up to 40 millimeters. Eastern edge though for the island near Qualicum Beach rainfall warning 50 uh, 40 and up to 60 millimeters of rainfall through the day tomorrow and the snow right now a current shot of the coca check in with drivebc.ca for the latest conditions but we will see higher amounts along the coke 20 and up to 30 centimeters areas near the sea to sky for whistler lesser amounts between five and up to 10 centimeters the northern half of the province the heavier rain will be for the morning easing off towards the afternoon it's starting off as snow for the central interior changing back over to rain and higher elevations so once again the mountain passes a significant amount of snow Continuing in towards the evening hours for tomorrow. A blustery day for us along the south coast in Metro Vancouver. A wet start to our weekend. We're hoping to see some drier conditions, and that'll be on our Sunday. I'll leave you tonight with tonight's central windows weather window. And this is a shot from the sunrise this morning in Tofino. So thank you so much, Jay Williams. Nice way to wake up. Last glimpse of sun for a while is what it looks like. Thanks <laughs> yeah. very much, Yvonne. All right, Squire is here and got the purple memo. Oh, well, you and I oh. know. Oh, yeah. Missed the email. <laughs> Sorry. Come on. Be a joiner. Spam. Be one of us. <laughs> um, okay, so um, Lions quarterback Mike Riley has a contract. He's had one since uh, 2019, I believe. However, he now has a structured contract. He's confident that um, he's, he was where I was going to be. Uh, that, that never wavered. No, that didn't, but... Uh, the numbers on his paper are a bit different now. We'll talk about that. Also tonight, helping astronauts stay in touch. How SFU is building wireless communications systems for a world beyond ours. 
Oh, it's always a chuckle in the commercial breaks when we're... <laughs> we, can't, we can't tell you why, though. <laughs> it was a discussion about Game of Thrones. Anyway. I don't watch it. <laughs> <laughs> Me neither. Okay. Squire, you do, don't you? No, I didn't. I watched it a little bit, and then I... <laughs> I got tired of it. And then you moved on. <laughs> I moved on. <laughs> okay. Uh, after his breakthrough rookie season with Bayern Munich, soccer fans around the world were asking if former Whitecap Alfonso Davies was already one of the best players on the planet. Now, some experts said, no, no, no. It's too soon to say that. But in a vote by professional players around the world, he is considered one of the best. Davies was voted onto the men's World 11 All-Star team as a defender putting him amongst the stars. Leading this team are the legends, of course. Lionel Messi voted on for the 14th consecutive year and is only equal amongst current players Cristiano Ronaldo, also voted on to the team for the 14th consecutive year. Man City midfielder Kevin De Bruyne received the most votes. Bayern Munich striker Robert Lewandowski was also among the 11 best as was his young teammate in Bayern Munich, Alfonso Davies, who was Rookie of the Year in the Bundesliga and considered one of the fastest players in the world. And remember, he's just starting out. Brilliant run by Davies. Sensational! 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 Bayern Munich have a fifth goal. That's, that's right. That's three sensational. Yeah. That's sensational cubed. <laughs> Uh, the uh, Canucks have given forward Justin Bailey a one-year, two-way contract. That would pay him seven hundred fifty grand if he makes the Canucks, but uh, less if he goes back to Utica. Although, with the way things are going, the NHL could change the rules and allow teams to keep more players in town rather than put them in the minors. And that's where Bailey played most of last season. He actually had a great year in Utica, 28 goals. Only played two games with the Canucks uh, back in February when he was called up when Tyler Mott was uh, hurt. He, uh, he has bounced around the NHL a bit, but he pretty much has spent the majority of his career in the AHL. Henrik Lundqvist has told the Washington Capitals he can't play for them this season because of a heart condition. He signed a one-year deal with the Caps after 15 years in New York with the Rangers. He said he was shocked to learn that he had heart issues, heart issues that are so serious that doctors say it would be too dangerous for him to play this season. Well, the BC Lions, of course, like every other CFL team, have not had much to do this year, but they did restructure their contract with starting quarterback Mike Riley. The idea was better do this now and not let things fester into next year when the CFL plans to start playing again. It was a move both sides were happy about because despite a rough first season with the Lions, Riley really wants to stay here long term. Let's once more. Riley again has to scramble. Mike Riley's taken his fair share of physical punishment since returning to the Lions in 2019, but the Lions quarterback has avoided the financial hit that many CFL players will be forced to absorb once play finally resumes. Riley had a provision in his original contract that guaranteed him $250,000 each season. And even though the pandemic wiped out 2020, he will still get his cash. His new restructured deal is for less than the original, but when you add in the guaranteed money, it comes out to be about the same. So, needless to say, he's happy to be back. Even with things that were going on over the last couple of months, it didn't ever change my perspective or change my goal uh, or change my feelings about wanting to be with BC. I knew that uh, things were going to get worked out, and the reason that I knew that 
was because I know how badly that I want to be here, and I and I feel like that uh, feeling is is mutual between the club and myself. You know, I was always confident that um, BC was where I was going to be. Uh, that that never wavered. Riley's excited to finally get a chance to work with new head coach Rick Campbell, hoping they can come up with some offensive schemes to put points on the board and fans in the seats at BC Place. Usually at this time of year, Riley's still pretty beat up, but that year off has him feeling refreshed at age 35. This will be obviously the most healthy that I've been coming into a season, um, you know, in eight years. And uh, on top of that, um, it'll be the most work that I've been doing, the most lifting, the most throwing, all that kind of stuff. I've already spent more time throwing so far than I have in any offseason, and we're just getting started. If the 2021 season does start on time, it'll be a year and a half between games. But Riley's hoping the downtime will give the Lions and the CFL a chance to reintroduce themselves to football fans figure out how to make things better, how to make the experience better for the fan base, how to bring in new fans, how to retain uh, current fans, and just how to put an overall better product on the field and uh, something that people are excited to be a part of. All right, Thursday Night Football Raiders and Chargers, and Justin Herbert is looking for Hunter Henry, and that's a touchdown. Uh, When a guy gets hurt without getting hit, it's always bad. Derek Carr is running, and suddenly... Right here. Ay, 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 ay. That's a groin injury and he's out, which means Marcus Mariota is now in at quarterback for the Raiders. He still has some skills to Darren Waller. Touchdown, but uh, the Chargers did score another and they're leading at halftime 17 to 10. I don't know why that is, but when you see a guy get hurt without getting hit, it's always bad. Sniper. Is the line we used to say. Anyway, here's Jay Durant now with a preview of Global News at 11. I used it too, Chris. Uh, A COVID-19 outbreak has been declared at another Metro Vancouver poultry plant. We'll have details on that. Plus a major announcement today designed to protect our wild salmon. Ottawa says it's phasing out fish farms along a key migration route along the west coast within the next 18 months. 19 operations near Campbell River will not have their licenses renewed. Plus, we'll have more on the vigil held tonight for the mother killed by a runaway delivery van on Tuesday. Those stories coming up tonight at 11. All right, Jay, thank you. Up next, the roaming fees will be astronomical. The space cell phone project that's out of this world. Stay with us. at SFU are hoping to boldly go where no one has gone before. Pretty soon, something other than Saturn will have a ring. These SFU uh, researchers are working on communication systems that will work in space. And as Paul Johnson explains, they're playing a vital role in the mission to shoot for the moon. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. All of us know the crackly transmissions we got from the Apollo moon landings of the 60s and 70s. The next time we hear from people on the moon, it's likely to be in 4G and with full bars. 
NASA and its partners around the world are on track to return people to the moon in just a couple of years. The Artemis program will see a new rocket and capsule fly to the moon for a series of missions that will put more people on the lunar surface, doing more things for a longer period of time. And no surprise, they're going to need to talk more. The crew member could take their phone and call home. They could text their kids from the lunar surface from that phone. And part of how they'll do that will be enabled by work done here in Vancouver, where researchers at SFU's PolyLab for Advanced Collaborative Networking have been working with the Canadian Space Agency and Nokia, developing standards for a cellular network on the moon. The SFU portion is led by Stephen Braham, who's been perfecting communication to remote places like the Arctic for decades. Stephen Braham is without a doubt a Canadian national treasure. I think that all the NASA communication people think that. We just love having Stephen involved with us. So you can see how this might make for some awkward conversations with cell providers here on Earth. People might wonder if they can get it on the moon. Why do I get such lousy coverage at my cabin? And how will they justify roaming charges now? Though they may be getting the fanciest cell phone plan ever, they'll need it. Artemis will be the most ambitious space program to date. Their movements and research on the moon will lay the groundwork for trips to Mars and beyond. These are calls we won't want dropped. Paul Johnson, Global News. Unlimited minutes. Unlimited minutes. <laughs> and you can take all the selfies you want. Here's yeah. me holding up the earth. You but know, here's the finger. kicker to this story. Here's the kicker. We couldn't do a, a, a Zoom with Kevin because we couldn't get the right... Pat, we couldn't patch it properly. He didn't have the right connection. So we hope it's better when they're up on the moon, obviously. <laughs> couldn't do it here on Earth. Ironic. <laughs> All right, quick word on the weather, Yvonne. Uh, blustery day tomorrow. The winds will be a big weather story, especially for areas that are closer to the water. Grab your rain gear. It's going to be a wet one for tomorrow and for the start of the weekend so far. I just keep picturing the astronauts. Can you hear me now? <laughs> Can you hear me now? I'll just move. I'm going to move over here. <laughs> Thanks for watching, everyone. Have a good night.